0: Welcome, welcome back to the QC Hornets Nest, the podcast powered by the Charlotte Observer. I'm your host and resident beat writer, Rod Boone. This is your place to get all the latest buzz, news, and nuggets on the Charlotte Hornets. I'll be telling you stories other shows won't and giving you the inside access other shows can't. This week's ep, I'm joined by Eric Collins, the Hornets TV play-by-play voice. We discuss his style and how he's been able to bring so much energy to each broadcast. The 2023 season what to look for in the team's final games. We get him to explain what's behind his easygoing style and synergy with Dell Curry, what makes LaMelo Ball so exciting, his favorite NBA city, and more. Okay, so you ready? Let's go. Let's get it. Well, let's be honest. Let's go ahead and, and show a raise of hands in terms of who thought the Hornets would win four of the last five games, including taking a pair over a Dallas Mavericks team that's supposed to be desperate trying to make the playoffs, win a game on the road and at home, yet still (laughs) one of the hottest teams in the league right now. Who? Raise your hand. Put it down. Stop it. Let's be honest here. Come on. The Hornets have been playing above their heads the last week can change, and you got to give them a lot of credit because nobody, and I repeat, nobody gave them any chance to win most of these games, including myself, given that they're at the point now we're starting to rest the veteran players. So with the season kind of being a wash already, playoffs long gone, now you're playing younger players against teams that, have something to actually go out there and buy for, yet you're still winning games. (laughs) That, in a nutshell, folks, describes what it's like to follow the Hornets. Just when you can get them pegged and you have an idea of what they're doing, they throw you a major, major curveball like they have in the past week and change. Without Terry Rozier, without Kelly Oubre, obviously without with Mello, yet they still have found ways to win games. With this Dennis Smith Jr. going out there and dunking on people and um, flexing and, and making gestures or whether it's, you know, Nick Richards with a monstrous dunk in Oklahoma City, Hyde Jones doing his thing, Tail Maldone, or how about PJ Washington Jr. getting a career high 43 points. And he's been playing like a madman of late. And as you know, you guys who follow these things closely know, it's a contract year for PJ. So for him to be producing the way he is and to be one of the most durable players. The Hornets have had this entire season only missed one game, I believe, which was for, at the, at that time, personal reasons, which is later um, revealed that um, it was for the birth of his child. So when you look at what P.J. is doing, when you look at what the other pieces, the younger players, the Mark Williams, the Kai Jones, you can even throw – James Booknight up in there because he hasn't played as much this season. When you see what they're doing of late, you know, Taylor Maldon, it's been very encouraging if you're a Hornets fan to see where they're at. The Hornets are right now locked into that fourth spot in terms of the worst overall records. With five games remaining, they can't, quote unquote catch the bottom three, which is Detroit, which is in you know, a really bad season for Detroit. And then you have the Spurs and Rockets as well. And the Hornets are not going to be able to match the losses of those teams. So therefore they're going to be in the number four spot. And I know this isn't the way things work, but from my perspective, but there's there's a way you should almost be Ward. Uh, a team like the Hornets for the way they've played of late. I don't think you should go into the draft process figuring, let's let's have a, a tournament to figure out who gets the number one pick, but the way the Hornets have played the last month or so, they haven't played to lose. Okay, let's be honest. There are some teams out there playing to lose. The Pistons, from what I can see at times, they're not playing to lose per se, but they definitely aren't playing their winning basketball, even against the Hornets that one game when they were in Detroit, that the Hornets beat them. Uh, Don't get me started with that kind of stuff. But the point is, the Hornets have really turned a corner here when you thought that they were just going to just almost fold up the tent and say, all right, season's over. Let's just not get hurt. Let's play a stretch out here. Let's go about our business. But... It's been anything but one, two, three, Cancun for the Hornets. And again, for them, you have to give them a lot of credit. And you also give a lot of credit to Steve Clifford. Now, People weren't sure about this hire initially um, in terms of the fan base. There are people wondering why would you bring back a guy who you let go a few years ago. But I think anybody who's watched this team this season, anybody who's listened to – Uh, The players, when they speak to uh, me and I write in my stories, they like Steve Clifford. And you can tell that his organization alone is part of the reason why they're playing the way they are right now. If this team was going through the motions and didn't care, it's a reflection upon the person who's leading them. But the way they are, still out there smiling, still playing hard coming back from a 21-point deficit against <laughs> against the Pacers, uh, again, a team that was playing for something. I mean, the Hornets, what they've done the last couple of weeks here cannot be discounted. And you have to give a lot of kudos to the coaching staff, to the players themselves, and to everybody in the organization who obviously have had to deal with a lot this year. It's been a really rough year. But the way things are closing out, you know, barring and losing five games in a row, which still, to me, wouldn't even sour the season, per se. I think that they're... What they've done the last couple of weeks here gives them some really good ammunition and some really good fuel going into the offseason which as everybody knows is going to be a very very important one important one for them to move this thing forward when you have a star point guard like, like LaMelo Ball who has not been in the playoffs the overall playoffs you know not the playing tournament but the playoffs themselves in each of his first 3 seasons playoffs or bust to me is the motto for next season but right now, the way they're playing is setting the foundation for these younger players to be able to go out there and have a good offseason, maybe give some optimism to a city that actually needs some in terms of their pro basketball scene, give them some optimism going into the 2023-24 20, season. All right, time for our weekly mailback segment, which you guys know is one of my favorite parts of the pod. And we're going to start with a general question that wasn't submitted by anyone in particular. But this, to me, is something I need to be explained to people because I saw a couple of different responses and and questions on Twitter when I reported uh, a roster move. So on Tuesday, before the game in Oklahoma City, the Hornets signed Xavier Snead, who was playing for them with the Greensboro Swarm, to sign him to a 10-day contract, okay, that brought the roster to 15 players which is a maximum um, allowed. And people were wondering, hey, okay, like, like, why? What's going on? Why do they do this move and this kind of move almost every year? Well, this move was done specifically with Teo Maldon in um, mine th- this season. Teo, for people who have been following closely, was really close to the limit of games that he could be active um, on a two-way contract. Okay, so the Hornets signed Xavier Sneed to get their roster to 15 players. Now, there's a little-known CBA rule that says two-way contract players, yeah, you are have to be active for 50 games. But the little-known rule I'm talking about is a team that only has 14 players on their roster, they can be limited to 90 combined games with their two-way players. So the Hornets obviously have Bryce McGowan's, and you also have, obviously, Mal Maldon. So when they have 14 players before they sign Xavier Sneed, they can only have a combined 90 games between those two players. And Bryson's, like, I think at 50 or something like that already. So in order to not have to convert Tao's contract to a standard NBA contract, the Hornets were able to still get around that rule, per se, by signing Xavier Sneed Because according to the CBA, a team that has a full 15-man roster can use a hundred combined games of activity between their two two two-way players. So just to break it down layman's terms, if the Hornets didn't add one more player to their roster, they would have to at some point convert tail Maldon's contract because the two-way contract stipulates, you can only have X amount of games played. And as I mentioned, it depends on the roster situation. So with the Hornets signing that extra player to make it 15, they bought themselves like 10 more days ten more days or so to be able to have Teo on the roster and be able to be active for these games. So you can expect to maybe see one more 10-day contract from Xavier Sneed to be able to kind of push this past the finish line so the Hornets can actually have Mal Maldon finish the regular season with them. So hope that explains that for you. Because I know there's a lot of questions about that. And I also put it in my story. If you guys want to check out my story on charlotteobserver.com, it breaks down also what I just explained. So hopefully that gives you guys some insight to what the Hornets were doing. They made that roster move, bringing in Xavier Sneed on Tuesday. All right. The other question is kind of a general one. It's from at Lyndon Tucker on Twitter. And basically the, the question is, what got into this team? I think a lot of people want to know about that uh, answer, Lyndon, because it seems like the Hornets just have gone from being one of those teams that you kind of just forget about and say, oh, you know what? They're going to be fighting for that bottom three to they're essentially locked into that four spot and they're one of the hottest teams amongst those bottom four teams right now, record-wise in the NBA. I think really boils down to younger players like the Bryce McGowans, uh, the Kai Jones, uh, you throw Mark um, Williams even in there. You know, a lot of these young players, they, they're they hungry. They want to go out there and show what they can do. They want to be a part of this team moving forward. And one of the things you can do is to put something on tape, film, whatever you want to call it. So, therefore, in the summertime, when the coaching staff brings you in, I mean, they go over your season and how you want to improve for next year, they can say, hey, look, Mark, right here, this pick and roll, you should have been over here. Or, or Bryce, you just step back three-pointing right here. Maybe it's better for you to go ahead and drop toward with a bucket or something like that. So I think that is really one of the keys is the young guys being really hungry and just want to go out there and give it their all. And the second thing to me is, is as I mentioned earlier, is you got to give Steve Clifford um, credit there as well because despite all they have been through, um, the players really enjoy playing for him. And you can tell that they enjoy playing for him. So this last stretch to me, also reflects upon him, as I mentioned earlier, to kind of show you guys just exactly how much the players respect what he's doing and potentially how good they can be moving forward if they have their full team available and aren't ravaged by injuries. So this team has been really fun to watch if you're a Hornets fan over the last week or two because you can kind of see the enthusiasm from the youthful guys. The veteran players are resting So you have to worry about them getting banged up going through the offseason. And now it's just to kind of just let these guys gain some experience and kind of see what you can get out of them moving forward into the offseason into next year. So to answer your question, Lyndon, I think it's a combination of things that got into the Hornets. But either way, you got to appreciate the way they've been able to be professional here of late and still come out there and beat some of these teams that are vying for playoff spots and show that, hey, even though you guys think that we're going to be an easy win, it's quite the opposite. We're going to come out here and play our tails off and make it hard for you to get out of here with the victory. So the Hornets have been really good of late. We'll see if they can continue this in their last you know, five games as they finish off the regular season. All right, thanks for the questions being submitted once again. your readers and listeners, you guys are great. It's My favorite part of the podcast is interacting with you. And I really appreciate you guys jobbing with me and making sure that we – back and forth and i give you guys what you're looking for so hopefully i'm able to do that once again um this week as i mentioned earlier my guest is eric collins and eric as you guys know is the tv voice of the hornets and i've been able to kind of get to know him a little bit of last couple of years covering the team and he's one of my favorite people to be around see him every game road home uh you name it and i wanted to give you guys a little bit of insight in terms of how he thinks how it works um, how he feels about um, working with Dell Curry, how he uh, you know envisions things moving forward. The Hornets, what's been the good, the bad, the ugly, a lot of different things about this season, and 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 just players individually and and as a whole. So, here's my convo with Eric Collins. Hope you guys enjoy it. First, the season overall for the Hornets has obviously been um, very injury riddled. how would you characterize the team and how they kind of have been able to kind of persevere through some of the stuff they've gone through this year?
1: That if guys are healthy and if things start to go our way a little bit in the years to come, you know, there is a certain style and a way that the Hornets like to play. And there is a group of guys that I think now are a core group of guys that understand what the coaching staff is trying to get them to do. And they're all pulling in the same direction, which maybe that wasn't the case at the beginning of the year. But it's good to see, at least now, that there is a plan in place. And when that plan is followed you know good things kind of happened so I, I'm kind of happy right now with the way that things have gone after just a lot of struggles through the first 65 games of the year it seems nice that we're finishing up the season the right
0: way yeah you mentioned finishing the season the right way are you I wouldn't say surprised by the way they've kind of been able to kind of pull together but um what's I guess impressed you most since they've been able to kind of get things righted, even despite having some veteran players out um last couple of games here I, just, I, I think the young players, I just think it's there's such a
1: huge cause for optimism when you watch JT Thor play in his 70th game of the season and he does something that he's never done before. You know, it's, it's obvious to the people sitting in the upper deck that he is playing with more confidence. It's obvious to people who don't follow the Hornets religiously that when he gets the ball, he is a different looking cat, man. He's like thinking about getting to the basket. Bryce McGowan, same thing. There's no hesitation. There's His eyes aren't darting back and forth anymore. Ty Jones, you know, he's getting the ball, and instead of barreling into someone's chest, he's actually looking for a crease to go around someone. You know, I see it each and every night. These young players are doing things that they didn't do before, and that just gives me real optimism of what they can improve on this summer and maybe what we can see even more of in the fall and the beginning of next season.
0: Well, talking about one of the younger players, what's your impressions of of Mark Williams and what he's been able to kind of do stepping in starting for the team since he's kind of been able to kind of show that role since they traded Mason Plumlee last month?
1: I, I, I kind of knew there is no other time in the history of the NBA that a guy with that skill set coming out of a major program wouldn't be the first, second or third pick in the draft. I don't know how we've gotten to this point now in the NBA where you can get a guy like Mark Williams with the 15th overall pick. It makes no sense to me. I said on the air the other day, I said, like, if Mark Williams was in the draft 25 years ago, he'd be the number one pick, no doubt about it. And then I thought about it, the 1998 draft, the number one pick was a guy named Michael Olo Candy, who was a seven foot stiff who couldn't carry anything that Mark Williams owns. So it just goes to show you how things kind of ebb and flow in terms of value. And I just think that the Hornets got marked value. Mark Williams at a time when he was criminally undervalued because that guy has got some unbelievable upside on both sides of the floor.
0: We're talking about Dell. Uh, can you explain just how you and him have an easygoing synergy out there? Seems like You guys are like at the, you know, at the barbershop talking basketball, man. How do you guys <laughs> able to kind of have that synergy out there the way you, you, you do? Well, actually, little known
1: fact, we actually do share the same barber. So every once in a while, <laughs> we are in the same barbershop together. <laughs> <laughs> And I've actually stole some lines from a barbershop. You wait in line at the barbershop, you got all these old guys talking ball, and they say, "Man, I remember Bob McAdoo's shot his shot was all wet." And I, ooh, I like that. So I frequently say, you know, someone gets a switch, yes, like, shots all wet, and that came directly from the barbershop. Uh, but you know, Dell's been Dell's what makes it go. He's the secret sauce. You know, he uh, when you work with an analyst, there's a lot of different boxes that all you need to do is be kind of halfway good at, at one of them. You know. Are you good at X's and O's? Are you a former player with a big name? Are you a funny guy? Do you know your history? Um, are you like in with ins and outs of what's going on with the league and the comings and the goings? Dell checks every single box. And besides that, he's cool enough to understand, like, hey, you know, Eric's doing his thing. I'm not going to kind of step on him. I'm going to let him spread his wings. I'm going to let him be goofy. So Dell not only is like the perfect analyst for what he says, but he's also the perfect analyst for not having to say, Something all the time, he lets me be me, and uh, I think that just does everything for the broadcast.
0: Now, you are very detail oriented. Can you explain um just how you prepare for these games and how you know all the stats and things that you know to be able to give the listeners <laughs> what you do?
1: Well, my favorite thing in the world, well, not my favorite thing, but on my list of best things to pass my time is I love learning about players, you know. So every single game that I do, I make sure that I've got three or four factoids about some player that is always going to be a conversation starter, you know? And to me, I remember my mom telling me when I was a kid, it's like, Eric, every single person is the best in the world at something. Every single person is is does something differently than everyone else. You just got to kind of look sometimes to figure out what it is. And I love looking for that, you know? You can break it down. Hey, this is the best left-handed big man in the history of the game. Or this guy is the best ever come out of a public school in Rhode Island, or this guy is the best guy of, you know Filipino descent. And uh, I just love that stuff. And so I spend hours every single day uh, before a game, coming up with the different names that we're going to see that particular day and coming up with something that makes them unique, that maybe people wouldn't know. And I think it works, because Ashley likes to feed off of that. Dell likes to try and guess what I'm getting at. I think it's good television when we can kind of uh, tell people what they don't know.
0: I was going to say, Dale's reactions to me are some of the most, I guess, best part of the broadcast when he just, he's trying to listen to you and, and answer your questions and then he can't get the answer. And then you give him the answer. He's like, whoa, like, where'd that come from? It's just it's hilarious <laughs> to me.
1: Yeah, you know, a lot of times I give him three point questions and he naturally assumes that he's the answer or his sons are the answer. So that's always great when I can get them a little bit of a red herring and go in a different direction.
0: I was going to ask too, man. Can you can you explain how you bring so much energy to the broadcast? I mean, I know you love your job, obviously, but sometimes when it could be maybe the back to back, so the the three and fours, or whatever. How do you make sure you bring that same energy level to each broadcast for the fans?
1: Ah, uh, you know, I, honestly, I just think I was born with it. I get really excited about a lot of things. You know, I'm tightly wound. I guess if you kind of came up to me and poked me on a day-to-day basis, my muscles are generally always tight. You know, I'm always waiting for the next thing to happen. Don't ever go to a horror movie with me, man. I did that one time when I was on a date when I was younger and I just flew out of my seat and I totally embarrassed myself. So I said, I'm never going on a date to a horror movie ever again. So I think the same thing happens during a broadcast. I just naturally get excited when I see something that to me is exciting. And maybe to me that that level is a little bit lower than the other people. But I really do get excited when someone's got like a fierce crossover or when someone gets a swooping left-handed hook
0: or when someone makes a three from 45 feet. So it still does it for me. All right, we mentioned excited. I'll get you out of here with a couple more questions. Uh, what about LaMelo? What excites you most when you watch him out there in the court and, and, and you know watch his games and call his games? And On top of that, what have you seen him, I guess, improve upon most in your three years watching him so far?
1: Um, I'm hoping, and I really, you know, LaMelo has been huge for the organization. He's been huge for my career. I'm hoping that he gets a chance to kind of really sit down and watch what the Hornets are doing right now, because he is always going to be the straw, the stirs, the the drink. But it's going to be nice for him to see, okay, there's other guys that have a chance to really complement how LaMelo plays. You know, how is he going to get more out of Bryce McGowan?s How is he going to get more out of JT Thor? How is he going to make Kai Jones – a rotation guy, you know? And so I'm hoping LaMelo's using this time to kind of do that type of stuff, work on the mental side of how he can make the Hornets better as an organization on the floor each and every night because the guy's got just unmatched skills. And at the end of the day, when you're talking about great point guards, no one remembers a great point guard who was on a losing team or was with a franchise that didn't win a lot of games. So right. that's the final frontier for LaMelo is he's got to figure out what well, he can do to make the Hornets win more games because that's that is vital for his legacy. Um, but I'm looking forward to him coming back. I want him to be a little bit thicker. I think he will. He's going to get a little bit older. I need you know, to see that he can play 75 to 82 games. That's going to be huge. You know, no one remembers great point guards who average 37 games a year, you know? So I just think that's kind of on him to be as strong and thick and as, you know, available as he can be. Because the Hornets need him, The fans want him. You know, I'm buying a season ticket. I want to see LaMelo out there. You know, I'm tuning into a broadcast. I want LaMelo out there. So small things just to kind of give him the availability and help the Hornets win more games going forward
0: is what I'm looking forward to. Well, you're right. It definitely are, um his franchise, per se, because they've had 15 sellouts this year, which is the most since they've had pro basketball come back to Charlotte, which tells you right there just how much fans want to come see him play. So you're right about that. Um, what would you say, I guess, is your most – memorable call this year. What, what do you look back upon as a play sticks out and say, you know what, man, that play was something that I won't forget about this entire season.
1: Uh, uh, you know what? It was kind of weird, but I just remember it just because I'm kind of a broadcast junkie and uh, the Hornets lost this game. And actually what I said made no sense, but I still liked it. It was the tail end of a game that we played at home and it was the Hornets and the Celtics and Jason Tatum had 48 or 49, and it was the final moments of the game. And you knew he was gonna shoot it because everyone in the building wanted to get 50, except for Hornets fans. And so I remember he was coming up down the floor and I said something, I, I kind of mixed my metaphors and uh, it didn't really make any sense to all the English teachers out there. But I <laughs> love the fact that it was just all about the rhythm. It shows like what you could do with the broadcast. It was the rhythm of the fans. It was the rhythm of my voice. It all just worked. And even though it was a call that went against the Hornets, and even though, like I said, my words made no sense, I saw a highlight of the video, and I really liked it, you know, because it it, it made that situation, it, it made it a little bit better, which I kind of think that's my job, is to help people see things in a different way and help them augment the broadcast by making it a little bit, just amplifying a little bit. And that call, Jason Tatum's three pointer in the final moments of a game, to me, was a good representation of the power of a play-by-play answer. So that's something that I'll remember from the year.
0: Well, you you mentioned um, you know seeing I guess the clip of of that highlight. Do you at times when you see these clips of yourself, do you laugh? Do you cringe? Um, do you smile? <laughs> do, you, do, do your daughters bring them up to you like like what do you what's your reaction when you see some of your your own work out there? I guess on social media especially.
1: Yeah, you know what? I do all of those. I laugh, I cringe, I smile. Generally, it's it's more laugh because in the moment when I'm saying it, I'm kind of I don't really understand, and then I kind of get back and I look at it again like, oh man, that's goofy. Why did I say that? (laughs) But I I, there's rarely anything that ever want to take back. You know, it is what it is. I put it out there. I'm always proud of it, and uh, it is you know it's extemporaneous talking for three hours. So.
0: All right. Well, just last thing then is, uh, obviously, been a long season for you guys. You just came off the road. There's only one more road game, believe it or not, for the Hornets this season, which is your favorite stop, I guess, um, in Cleveland. Your 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 former digs. So I was going to ask you, of all the NBA cities, which do you enjoy traveling to and visiting, and even I guess calling a game most, and tell me why.
1: Okay, uh, I actually don't like going to Cleveland. I love going to yeah. Cleveland. It's great. It's my hometown. <laughs> But it's hard for me because sometimes I'll slip up. And I'll I'll admit it now. I've been a Hornets announcer for eight years. I'm a Hornet guy all my life, whatever, big deal. But sometimes I still slip up and I get too excited about the Cavaliers because at the heart of who I am, you know, I'm a Clevelander and I'm a loyal guy to a fault. So there'll always be something in my brain that will always tell me to get excited about the Cavaliers doing something good. Um, And I hate that. So besides Cleveland, and I hate to say it because I wasn't this way and I've never been like this, you know, this knee jerk New York guy. But there is something special about doing a game at Madison Square Garden. It's one of the few arenas where you still are down on the floor. I'm right next to Walt Frazier, which absolutely does it for me. You know, we're rubbing thigh to thigh for two and a half hours. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm hanging out with Clyde. That does it for me. a Lipas in the first row. You know, you look around and you see all these Peloton instructors and uh, it's great, man. And the Hornets just seem to amp it up a little bit. You know, big games over the years from Kemba and Miles Bridges and LaMelo. So I think MSG, Madison Square Garden, right there in Midtown Manhattan, that's that's my sweet spot.
0: Well, as a uh, Long Islander, somebody who root for the New York Knicks, you already know how I feel about that uh, building. So the fact that you actually mentioned the guard to me is uh, a great way to end this conversation, man. So thank you, Eric, for giving me <laughs> some time. I appreciate that, my brother. All right, look ahead here. The Hornets have a couple of days off in between games and don't pick things back up until Friday when they take on the bulls at home. And that essentially is the beginning of a four game homestand that also includes a couple of games against the Raptors a Sunday and Tuesday before they close out their 2023 home slate with a date against the Rockets next Friday. I mean, those two games against the Raptors once again, I mean, the Hornets can play spoilers. And knowing them, they'll go out there and win at least one of those two games just because that's what they've done, as we mentioned earlier, during this last stretch of the season so far, when just when you think that you kind of have them pegged, figuring they're not going to win, they start winning, even when you don't even have their veterans out there on the floor, as we mentioned earlier. So knowing them, they'll get at least <laughs> probably at least two of these four games coming up, but definitely probably one of those two against the Raptors um, knowing the crowd will probably be a little bit um, hyped up because those are the last two games against a team that actually has some, uh, some stars coming in when you consider, um, you know, obviously that the, the, the Hornets last couple of games here at home. So once again, um, it, the last few games of the season at home, I'd like to just see exactly what the crowd is going to bring and just how much juice they're going to have, because the Hornets have had 15 sellouts this season, which according to the Hornets PR is the most that's basically been accounted for in one season since pro basketball returned here to Charlotte in 2020, excuse me, 2004-05. That's pretty significant considering the Hornets has had a really difficult season, obviously. So to see how much juice the crowd will bring these next four games at home especially with two of them coming on the weekend uh, should be very, well, actually three of them, excuse me, coming on the weekend. Should be very, very, just something to kind of keep an eye on because the crowd at home this season has been better than you can believe. There's been games of course, when nobody's been there, and you can't probably blame them, but far and beyond, for the most part, the fans that bought it this season, you got to give them credit. So we'll see exactly what happens and what they're going to do these last four games going into what should be a very, very big offseason for the team. All right, time for this week's random stat. And it centers around, well, the power forward for the Hornets, the starting power forward in P.J. Washington. Now, P.J. has been off the charts lately in having a career-high 43-point effort in the Hornets' win in OKC on Tuesday. Just listen to this and it tells you just how crazy he's been on a, a roll lately. He's now the third player in franchise history to score 40 or more points, grab five or more rebounds, distribute five or more assists, and hit five or more three-pointers in a single game. There's only two of the players in Hornets' history, who have been able to accomplish that feat. Can you name him? Probably, you might know one guy. Yeah, Kemba Walker did it four times. The other person, Devontae Graham, he also did it. So to recap, P.J. Washington is the third player in franchise history to score 40 or more points, grab five or more rebounds, have five or more assists and five or more three-point three point makes in a single game. Only other people have done that in Hornets history. Kemba Walker and Devontae Graham. So PJ is in rare company. And it couldn't come, obviously, a better time for him knowing he's got to get, you know, he's in a contract year and he'll be getting paid big time, in a few more months, come the summer. So there you have it. Many, many thanks to my guest, Eric Collins. And thank you so very much for joining me for the latest episode of QC Hornets I'm Rod Boone. For more Hornets content, check out TrelloObserver.com. And for special offer to gain full access, click the link in my stories where it says, support my work with a digital subscription. All right, till next time, we out.